Welcome to the CityGate Church podcast. Today's message was recorded at our live Sunday services, and we hope that it encourages you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. I'm thrilled today to have Pastor Mark here. You've been here before, a long time ago, probably 12 years ago. But uh, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and give honour where honour is due. And put your hands together and give them a big old God bless you. Let's welcome Pastor Mark into Citygate Church this morning. Uh, thank you. It truly is an honour to be here with you. And you're a crazy church. I got to say, I love you. Oh man, I would. If I was living in London, I, I'd be travelling. I don't know where I would live in London, but because I have no idea even where I am. But, but I'd come to this church. There's a heart, there's a spirit, there's, a, there's something going on here so new and so fresh. And, uh, and I, it's, it's a joy for me to be here and it's a privilege for me to be able to speak with you this morning. So let's pray and let's believe God together for Him to continue to have His way. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank You for who You are. I thank You that You want to change us. You want to take us on the journey. You came to bring life. You came to bring, to turn the lights on in this world. And and Father, You make residence in our hearts. That Lord, You give us strength. You give us power. You give us vision. You give us purpose. And Lord, in the Name of Jesus, I pray that this morning there be a whole new spring in our step, a whole new vision fire up in our hearts to see You made famous on this planet in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said together, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Please take your seat. Well, it's prayer and fasting month for all of us nearly across the world. And it's true for you here. It's true for us back in America. It's strange for me to say America because I don't have the right accent. And uh, and I, we live in America. We live in Virginia Beach. And Uh, I want to talk about a topic. It's hard for me to talk about this topic because when I say it in America, they hear the word potty, which means to them going to the bathroom because of my accent. But I'm glad that I'm amongst people that can understand me, that have the gift of interpretation that I don't need to explain myself to because we're all on the same page. But I want to talk about bring on the party. Bring on the party. Because I believe that's what God has called us to do. I believe that's what Jesus came to do. Now, don't get me wrong. He didn't come to make everything just, that everything would go perfect, everything go wonderful. But in the midst of life, He came so that we would be a people who would bring on the party into the, this world, that would bring the presence of God, that would bring joy, that would bring peace, that would bring power, that would bring His purpose in the midst of whatever we face. And how many know we face stuff in life? Stuff, not everything works. If you haven't had any bad days, you just haven't lived long enough. All right? So if, if, if something hasn't gone wrong for you, you're way too young. And it, I promise it will. Well, I don't mean to disillusion you, but I can tell you that in the midst of life, there's seasons in life that are good and bad, but Jesus wants to bring the party into every aspect of our lives. And as I was sitting here this morning in the worship, I thought, these, these people understand that. 
that, that these people understand the whole idea of a party. You, you've come together this morning to party with the presence of God. You've come here this morning to be encouraged, to be inspired, to, to, to get in the groove of things, to see from a different perspective, to see from heaven, to bring heaven to earth in your reality. And that's the importance of gathering together. So often people are like, well, I just want to be a Christian, you know, and I don't need it. But you know what? We need one another. And that's what we're going to see as we just track through this little story that we're going to look at in John chapter 2. We need one another. I need you. You need me. And this world needs us to be us because too often we have been just me And God is looking for we to actually be together with him to express who he is to the people in this city and beyond to bring his presence and his joy to this world and to people's situation and circumstance. So with that in mind, I want you to grab your Bibles and we're going to go to our passage that I really love. It's John's Gospel and it's this story about a wedding. It's It's a crazy story. It's really weird to me. If you're going to start off a worldwide ministry as Jesus was, why would you do it in a place called Cana, in a region called Galilee, with about 600 people around you? Like Jesus is about to change the world. He's about to revolutionize all of history and time. And he starts off at a wedding in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of seemingly nobodies. Doesn't that tell you something interesting? That God is interested in us, where we're at, no matter what we think or what we see. From our perspective, we always downplay who we are and what God is doing. But God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. God is always at work. God is actually up to stuff that even even we don't even know. So Jesus turns up to a wedding. And let's track along with this in John chapter 2. And verse 1 we're starting with. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible because that's all my Logos has. It's got nothing to do with my favorite (laughs) translation. It's all to do with my inability to use computers. On the third day, there was a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. I'm feeling warm and fuzzy when I read that. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Verse 3, And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, (laughs) I love this, Woman. Imagine saying that to your mother. When she says, clean your room. Woman, what's that got to do with me? (laughs) We'll unpack that as we go along. Woman, what has that got to do with me? There's so many strange things in the Bible that if you don't look, you won't see and you won't understand. You've got to get into it. And I'm hoping this morning that you'll come to this wedding in Cana of Galilee with me. I'm hoping that you're going to step into this wedding and you're going to see what's going on and you'll see what Jesus is up to in the midst of a very natural, normal situation that was happening in a little tiny place in the middle of nowhere that Jesus turned up to. And my gosh, when Jesus turns up to stuff, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. 
making that place totally famous. Why? Because Jesus turned up. Jesus did something there. And says, woman, what has that to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I love that. She ignores him. The only time you can ignore Jesus is if you're his mother, maybe. I don't know. No, I think she knew something that the other people didn't understand. See, again, you've got to track along. You've got to step into the story. Now, there were six stone water pots there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called on the bridegrooms. And he said to him, every man serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely then he serves the poorer wine but you have kept the good wine until now you have kept the good wine until now very important phrase and then this is the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him now when you step into this story, you, if you don't step into it, if you don't see John is painting a picture. And in fact, Jesus, he's painting the picture that Jesus was trying to paint. This is the first miracle that Jesus ever did. So there's an importance to this. And John is always linking back. So he does this sneaky little thing when you read John's gospel. You'll see that he, he uses phrases that trigger thoughts in his audience. He uses phrases to begin to paint a picture, to link them to the truth that's going on. And in this story, see in John chapter one, in the very first, he, he uses this little phrase. He says, in the beginning, that's the first opening of his gospel. Now, if you're a good understanding of the Bible, if you're a good Jewish person, maybe at the time this was written, if you're a good Christian person that you've read the Bible, when you hear the word in the beginning, you naturally actually link to something. If, you're, if you heard that, if you've been a reader of your Bible, you'll think Genesis, Genesis chapter one verse, it starts the same way, in the beginning. So he is linking Jesus now back to the very beginning, in the beginning. So now actually this is the beginning of something new that links all the way back to the beginning that God created. And so Jesus is actually starting something new. Jesus is actually stepping into the world. And as you read through John chapter 1, you discover that Jesus came into this world to turn the lights on. Jesus came into this world to show us who God is, who the Father is. Later on, John says, if you, Jesus says, uh, John records that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. People want to know what God is like. People want to know what, what God is all about. And the Bible says that if you've seen Jesus, in other words, you begin to understand who He is, you understand who God is, because Jesus is God made flesh who dwelt amongst us to bring heaven to earth because God has always wanted heaven and earth to collide and so that the earth would be full of His presence. And this is the story. And Jesus says, listen, this is a party. And this party metaphor is something that God uses all the way through, that Jesus uses all the way through. He talks about the end of the world when he returns. It's going to be a party. He says it's going to be like a wedding feast. He says it's going to be something like there's a, there's a party waiting. See, people in the world, they say, well, I want to go to hell because that's where the party really is. <laughs> all my friends are going to be, has anyone heard that? All my friends are going to be there and there's all... But listen, God's been preparing a party so far for 2,000 years. That's what he said. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if someone's been at work for 2,000 years to prepare a party, that's going to be some party. That's going to be a party worthwhile turning up to, don't you think? And that's what, that's what John is trying to get us in. He's wanting you to step in to the reality of where we find ourselves. Now, let's, let's unpack this passage together in the time we've got. And let's learn some lessons and see what we can, how we can outwork that in our everyday life. All right, he starts off on the third day. The moment you read that, if you've been a Christian for a few days, that should trigger a thought in your head, wouldn't it? If you've been a Christian the third day, what happened on the third day? They said, we just had Easter. Well, we're about to have Easter. We seem to have it every year. But, but it's on the third day. What happened on the third day? Jesus, he rose from the dead. He came to earth. He died and then rose again so that we could come into victory. We could come into power. We could find true life. That death no longer would have its sting. That the world was no longer doomed for death. That Jesus came into the world and died on a cross to take our place so that we could find relationship with Jesus again. This is the entire story of the gospel. This painting that this picture makes is the entire story of what we as Christians are all about. And he does it like it's a party because as Christians, that's what our life is meant to be like. We're not meant to be the frozen chosen. We're not meant to be those people that are so miserable, religious, miserable people have got nothing to do with the presence of God. The very first miracle Jesus did was turn water into wine, which it just freaks everybody out because was it alcohol? Did it have them out? I don't know. We get so worried about it. Did they party too long? Did sin enter the room? What? I don't know. When Jesus turns up, life happens. And that's the picture. That's what, that's what John's trying to get us to see. He, I think John, when he was there, didn't have a clue, like most of the disciples, what was going on at the time. I mean, I love the disciples, but they're really brain dead. <laughs> Bit like all of us at times. You know that God turns up and we don't even realise it. God's at work and we have no clue. We just look at it from our perspective and go, ah, the world's coming to an end and I, you know. God is at work all the time. Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a plan. This wedding is, is a story of what we're all about. This wedding is a metaphor of him and his church. At a wedding, it's not just about you, the individual. It's about us together. This wedding is about a group of people coming together to be encouraged, to forget about some of the issues that are going on and to enjoy the presence of, of this party together. And in this situation, the presence of God together to find life, to find hope, to find freedom. It's, you've got to think back in the day, weddings were the number one sort of social event on the calendar. It was when everybody in the whole village and surrounding areas would come together to, have, to just have some fun. In a time when Romans had taken over the world, there'd been oppressed people and stuff had been going on and life to some degree may have been quite miserable. In the middle of it all, you would have a wedding and it was a great chance to have a great feed together, food together, to party together, have a bit of dance, have a bit of fun. And in the middle of all that, Jesus wants you to understand and me to know, you and me to understand that he came to bring life and life in all of its abundance. He came to bring joy and peace, to turn the lights on in the midst of darkness, that no matter what you face, 
there would be a sense of God is with us. He is at work in my situation and circumstance. Can you see this? Can you, can you feel? You know what's really interesting about weddings? I've done a lot of them. I get the chance to see the bride coming down. I, I, I've seen a lot of brides. One thing I've discovered about weddings, it doesn't matter what the person looks like at the beginning. When they turn up at a wedding, what happened? <laughs> I, I've never seen an ugly bride. Never. And even the guys, the blokes, don't they scrub up okay? Like, who would have thought? They turn up and they're like, who is that? There's a hint to what's going on when you begin to connect with Jesus. He's doing this metaphor of being at a wedding and you and I are like the bride. And you think about that and you think, well, I'm like a bride. That doesn't make much sense. I don't understand what's going on. He's saying no, because when a bride turns up to the wedding, no matter what she was like before or he was like, in terms of the groom, they just become transfixed and transformed into something so incredible that everybody looks at them and goes, ah, who are these people? And then as we track through the story, we'll see Jesus is playing on that thought and playing on that metaphor and he's bringing it back into his power that's at work in your life and in my life and that is as we come together, the overflow and the spilling out of that begins to change our families, our community, our workplaces, everywhere we put our feet, we begin to bring the beauty of God's presence into all sorts of situations and circumstances. And he's using this thought about a wedding, this thought about the bride, the groom, that looks so so amazing when they turn up but then we come to this point the wine runs up runs out Mary comes to Jesus and says the wine's run out I find that rather interesting there's uh, so many layers on that little thing you know um, I, it's not in the Bible I just I get strange thoughts I just share you with my little what goes on my head I kind of wonder whether Jesus, whether Mary went to Jesus because, and she said, the wine's run out, because he brought these dirty dozen with him. I kind of wonder, I'm, I'm, it's not in the Bible, I'm not sure. But they were fishermen. They were a little bit rough around the edges, you know what I'm saying? They turn and Jesus turns up, the man, the, the religious man, and he's got these guys with him that are somewhat almost unsaved. <laughs> they may well have been prone to a little bit. I don't. I, 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 I don't want to. I'm just saying. But really, what's really interesting is this. In that day, in which, remember, we're saying a wedding was a social event on the calendar in the whole of the community. And if you ran out of wine, well, that's a social disgrace. I mean, you're the people that can't even put on a good wedding for your daughter. I mean, what's wrong with you people? Like, this is something you've been planning for all your life, and you turn up to this wedding, and you run out of wine. And when you run out of wine, we all know when we run out of wine in any good party, what does that mean? Well... Not, not any parties I go to, but, you know, maybe the parties you go to, I don't know. But when you run out of wine, the party's over. And so what happened is instead of a five-day event, because weddings over there were really intense, so you, instead of a five-day event, might go for three days, and so it's like, oh, and so all the rest of your life, if you were the married couple, it'd be like, well, you too, you, you remember them? They just can't even figure out how to put on a good wedding. All their life, there would have been social disgrace. And it's interesting that Mary, remember Mary? 
what's Mary's background? She's the one that meets an angel. Now you've got to explain this to people. And she gets pregnant. And then, so she's carrying a child outside of marriage, which at that time was not a good thing. And she's explaining, well, I met this angel and he said to me that I'm going to get pregnant without knowing a man. And so what do you think the community has done to Mary all her life? Oh, she's that woman. She's that woman. You know, little gossip sessions. So Mary's lived with reproach and disgrace all her life in one sense because she chose to follow what God had said. But what I find interesting about Mary is that she saw there was another couple who was about to experience something that she had experienced. And she said, I cannot allow this to happen. And so she goes to Jesus on their behalf. And most people wouldn't have done that. Most people would have went, well, I've had to live with that all my life. So suck it up. Isn't that true? That's what most people would do. But not people who know God. Not people who understand the goodness of God. People who understand the goodness of God go, hey, you know what? That happened to me, but I don't want to happen to you. That happened to me, but I, don't want, I want to do what I can to bring the presence of God into your situation and circumstance. And so Mary goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And that's a metaphor for the world. Wine symbolises the presence of God. Wine symbolises all the way through the Bible where God turns up. And so when she said they've run out of wine and Jesus understood that, what they're really saying is this world has run out of wine. They've run out of joy. They've run out of the peace. They've run out of purpose. They've run out of all the good things that God would have them to have. And Mary's painting this uh, picture, in the middle of painting this picture that John's writing about, that the world we live in has lost its joy. It's lost its power. And they look around for something to fill it. But the world has run out of wine. And for many people, the party's over. For many people, the, the fear of death becomes a snare. For many people, life is just a bit of a drudgery. And many people, they can't find real purpose in life. The world, as we know it, has run out of wine. They're trying all sorts of things, coming up with all sorts of ideas. But when you don't bring God's purpose, you can never find God's fulfillment. Remember what Jesus came to do? John chapter 1 talks about he came to turn the lights on. He came to bring an understanding. The world does not understand that they are outside the purposes of God. The world doesn't understand that they are out of the joy and the peace and the stuff that God brings into their life. And he's looking for someone like Mary who will bring Jesus into the middle of it. One woman steps up. One woman you know, that's a constant theme in the Bible. In Luke chapter 5, there were five, four guys that turned up to found a paralyzed man who brought him into the presence of Jesus who got him healed. And Ananias was wandering around and trying to figure out what to do in life when the apostle Paul gets saved and God says, I want, Paul, I want you to go and see this guy called Ananias. Now, remember this? God is speaking to this guy. He's got this voice out of heaven. Paul, Saul, whatever your name is, get up. Go and see Ananias. Well, you'd think, God, excuse me, but you're already chatting to me. Why don't you fill in the story? But you know what the moral of the story is? 
is that God is looking for you and to me to enter into his purpose, to step up and bring the party into everyone else's life, to step up and bring his presence into that situation and circumstance. And so when Mary turns to Jesus and said they've run out of wine, what happens is that Jesus wants to step in and Jesus chooses to bring joy, peace, and allow the party to continue. Now Jesus' response is the third thing that I see in there becomes the cost so we, we start off, we see a wedding, we see they've run out of wine, and then we notice the cost. Why did Jesus get angry at his mother? He didn't get angry, he just got... Most theologians have difficulty with that passage because Jesus doesn't normally look at his mother and go, woman. And, and it's unusual, it seems to be out of character. So what do you think is going on? There's something more going on because the party's running out of wine. But in the middle of that, every person thinks about their wedding when they turn up to a wedding. When you go to a wedding, you're thinking about your wedding. You Maybe you're thinking about the wedding you've just had. Maybe you're thinking about what your wedding was like. Maybe you're thinking about what your wedding will be like. I don't, I don't know, but Jesus is certainly thinking about a wedding. But he's not thinking about a wedding in the terms that you and I would understand. He's thinking about a wedding in terms of all of humanity finding hope and freedom through his death and resurrection. So the moment, this is the first miracle, the moment that he commits to this process is the first moment where truly now he is stepping into the track where in three and a half years he is about to die for you and for me and to raise again. He's about to die on a cross. And so no wonder he's a little bit agitated. Because he's thinking about what will it cost. You see, we don't think about that often. We don't think about the fact that even Jesus understood that this was a costly experience. We, we often think, well, Jesus just turned up and died on a cross and rose. But Jesus sweated drops of blood. Jesus understood of what it was going to cost for yours and my freedom for the party to continue. And here in this situation, this party had run out of wine, but the world has run out of wine. And the cost of fixing this was just Jesus stepping in and doing a miracle, but the cost to fix the world would cost him everything. And that was predominantly in his thought. Do you know you're always on his mind? Have you stopped to realize we, we think God has forgotten us? God, where are you? You're on his mind. But he's not a genie in the bottle that does what we want because he happens to be God, he happens to have purpose. He doesn't do it the way. See, when you read that, you think Jesus says, woman, he gets angry and says, oh, okay, I'll do it anyway. That's not what's going on. What's going on is the intensity of the understanding of what it's going to cost to bring freedom to this world. And although he responds to Mary, I love Mary's response. Why? Because she understood who he was. She understood the mission. And she turns to these people Whatever he says to do, just do it. And now we move to the method. The story is so disappointing to most of us. You know why? Because we expect a little bit more razzmatazz. Don't we? Like when God does a miracle, don't you want a bit of lightning, thunder? Don't you want a bit of, ooh, you know? Don't you want a bit of, you don't you want Jesus, ooh, don't you want something like that to happen? You know, we, we get these pictures in our mind. That's, we, we watch too much TV. We, we're in too much social media, you know. We, we just want God to do, oh, spectacular. God is spectacular, but not in the way we expect. And, and he sends these people and 
What does he choose? Stone, water pots. Well, to you and I, that just doesn't seem... But what are they for? Ceremonial washing. What's he trying to do? He's painting a picture. Again, Jesus is trying to get you to understand that religion and just doing stuff, trying to be good, do the right thing, will never actually make and solve the problem. It won't keep the party going on in this world. He's saying, listen, the old methods and the things that you're building your life on, they're never going to make it. And he says, let's take that trashy stuff Let's take these ceremonial washing stuff. Let's take the stuff that's ultimately that water is going to be used in a certain way and then be rejected. The stuff that's seemingly useless stuff. The stuff that no one really wants to have anything much to do with. The stuff that's there. He said, let's take that stuff and let's use that stuff to show what I want to do in everybody's life. And he takes this water, this stuff that's for washing hands, washing feet, and thrown away and never to be used and never thought of again. And he transforms it. He takes it and these guys, could you imagine being one of those attendants? They know what's going on. And even in fact, John tells it, and the attendants knew. Why? Because they were scared to death. You've been scared to death serving God sometimes. You know, he went over and dipped the cup into this water. When did it turn to wine? I don't know. They don't know. And they take this stuff. Could you imagine them going to the, to the head guy, you know? Oh, God, we're going to die. Oh, God, this is a miserable time. Oh, God, oh, this is the end of our career. Oh, we had a good time, but, you know. This is... Isn't it interesting? Because that's often how we as Christians seem to approach God at work in our life. This is symbolic of what's happening in your life and my life, in every area. You and I are like this water, where there's stuff that's just as ordinary, everyday stuff, and somewhere getting from point A to point B, it's transformed. Somewhere, somewhere along the way, I don't know, I don't know what, what point, I don't know. And there doesn't appear to be any flashes in the cup or something or other. There's no lightning going on. There's no angels in the background. Oh, hallelujah. There's, there's nothing. Ever felt like God had, has abandoned you? Ever felt like, God, where are you? I think he's painting a picture because he's saying, I'm right here. I'm at work right now. Oh, and you wait to see what I'm going to do. Oh, you wait to see how I'm going to make this party come. You wait until you see how I'm going to get this party started. You wait until you see. And they hand this stuff to the master of ceremonies. And he takes a drink of it. And he says, this is the best stuff I have ever tasted. What do you say about yourself? How many of us as Christians, redeemed, changed, transformed, look in the mirror and all we see is who we were? All we see was what we used to be. And we're holding on to the stone water jar moments. And Jesus is saying, if we want this party to get started again, you better figure out who you are, sunshine. You better see the joy. You better see that I've transformed you. You better understand that you've got something to dance about. You've got something to get excited about. You've got something to bring into this party. 
We look at ourselves and say, well, what can I do? I'm just this stuff. I'm just, uh, who, who am I to bring joy to this world? You are someone filled with the presence of God. And everywhere you put your foot, you bring His presence, you bring His power, you bring His purpose. You're transformed. We're no longer who we were. So stop holding on to who you were and what you were and see what God sees over your life and begin to step into all that God has for your life. Don't hold on to religion. Don't hold on to just, well, I've, I've got to pray more. I've got to, i got to, i got to. Listen, you know why? <laughs> I, I tell our American friends, because Americans are a bit interesting. Any Americans amongst us? Praise God. Yet I'm Australian every now and then it comes out. <laughs> you Brits sent your criminals to a holiday destination <laughs> where the sun shines every day, all day. Well, you said, where can we send these criminals? I know. Let's send them to paradise. Anyway, that's another story. So many times... You know, I've never met an American. Americans are interesting people because, you know, when an American turns up, you know they're American, don't you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's true, I know. I don't say this in America. But, you know, you know what? when an American turns up, they never say, we say, where are you from? You say, where are you from? Do you know an American will never say, I'm from the United States of America. That's what we expect them to say. But what do they say? Well, I'm from Florida. As if you know, Florida is a part of America because you do. Everybody knows that I'm American. I think that's what Christians should be like. Because instead of, what, what, what do we do? Well, you, oh, I'm a Christian. We should be, I'm a Christian. I'm born again, I'm a believer. We're not here. It's so many of us as Christians identify as, we, we figure out who you are. And then because of that, we're trying to become a Christian. So no American wakes up in the morning and goes, I must be more American today. I really need to work at this American stuff. You know, I, I just, I praise God. I've got to get the God right. You know what I'm saying? I go, ooh, Jesus. I got, I got, I got to get that southern roll happening. No one in their right mind thinks like that, but we Christians do. What do we do? We go, well, I've got to be more Christian. How can you be more Christian? I can behave more Christian. My problem is not being more Christian. My problem is behaving in synergy to who I am. My problem is I don't know who I am, as Simba was told, or whatever it is, Rafiki hitting my... The problem is I don't realise that I am born again, brand new, that, you know, I pray not to become more Christian. I pray because I'm a Christian. I read my Bible not to become more Christian. I can't become more. I, I read my Bible and pray so I can discover who I really am. It's such a different way of looking at it. So many Christians, they're in the stone water pot. They're in the purification. They've got to do the right thing. I've got to pray. I've got to, I didn't pass long enough. I didn't pray long enough. And so, oh, God's going to abandon me when something goes wrong. Oh, it's because I didn't pray hard enough. If something goes wrong because I didn't do whatever. That's not how God works. He's just doing stuff even when I don't know it. That water did not give permission to be transformed into wine. That water got caught up in the purposes of God. 
And as people of God, we just get caught up in the purposes of God and we find ourselves becoming who we were always meant to be. And it becomes a revelation, not just to everybody else, but also to us. That's who I am. So many people are just so confused. So what is the result? The result is that when Jesus steps in to the world, when Jesus gets involved in the situation and circumstance, he's transformed us to be something unrecognizable. I'm no longer who I am. And so when that track begins to play in our heads, when that MP3 file or whatever it is is tapping away, when you're thinking about all the things you used to be, that's not who you are. So get rid of it. The transforming of our lives is meant to be so real, so amazing, we become something radically different from who or what we were heading to be. Tom Wright says this in John for Everyone, the transformation from water to wine is of course meant by John to signify the effect Jesus can have and can still have today on people's lives. Do you know who you are? Notice its abundance. Lastly, because my time is pretty well gone. Who was the transformation for? The wine wasn't transformed just for itself, although it probably enjoyed it. But who was it for? It was for everybody else. So much of us are all about us, all about me, mine, what I'm about. But Jesus says, I've changed you so that you can be like Mary to bring me into situation and circumstance all around. To forget the religious stuff. Stop trying to be religious. Stop trying to be a Christian. Just be one. But in being a Christian, it means I need to bring His presence And there are so many God opportunities that come my way that I don't even realize that people that I'm working with, people that I'm in the middle of it, because all I'd look at is what's going on. They've run out of wine and the problem is in my head and overshadowing my reality when I should be coming to Jesus and saying, we've run out of wine. When a friend comes to you and says, life just isn't going well. First thing we ought to do is let's pray about it. How about we bring Jesus into that? When someone gives you a bad report about sickness and health, the first thing we should do is, can I pray for you? I've been a Christian for a long time. 1979, I discovered Jesus. Well, really, Jesus discovered me. (laughs) Well, really, he turned the lights on and I was like, oh, you're actually here. And a few years ago, we, we started... A situation in our family that was just horrendous. And the first thing I did was try and figure it out. But you know, there is stuff in your life, and I'm not saying don't figure, try and figure stuff out. But the first port of call is what do you believe? What do you see? What do you see when the wine runs out in your situation and circumstance? What do you see when the wine runs out in the world? What do you see when the wine runs out 
in your job. You know, I'm speaking metaphorically. I'm not talking lit- literally. I'm not talking about, you know. I'm just, when, when everything falls apart, you're there because Jesus wants to step into that reality. He has a greater purpose. And He says, I'm transforming you to be part of the answer. I'm filling you with my Spirit. So the thought is, to step into this world, I need to have my community of faith connection. I need to be someone who gets into the Word and understands the Word. I need to be someone that prays. Because when I do those things, we as a community can change this world. Not because we do anything special. It's because He is at work in your life and mine. He creates opportunity for us to be involved in His plan and purpose. Remember when Jesus said, teach us how to pray, our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be my... He talks about bringing heaven to earth. So you've got to remember who He is and what He's done. And now I can begin to pray. Thank you for your daily bread. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your breakthrough. Thank you. And it's not just for me. It's for us. Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging? Who are you reaching out to? Take a step of faith this week. Send a text to someone. I'm just thinking about you. just praying for you. Just believe in God for you. It's amazing what will happen when you bring that to Jesus and truly begin to intercede and to step in on His behalf. Why? Because He's already there. He's already at work and He's transforming you to become part of His answer in situation and circumstance. Get your eyes off the problem and your eyes on the solution. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we step into this story, we see what you're truly doing. You're bringing the party back to our own lives, to our family, to our workplaces, to our community, to our nations, to this world. And you give us the honour to be a part of that solution. We are not just bystanders watching. We get to be involved. We get to bring that answer, that wine, that that presence of you into people's situation and circumstance. Oh God, we say today, we are available. Use me. Work through me. Bring your presence, your joy, your power into situation and circumstance. Through me, I make myself available. I look for opportunities. Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. You know, the little boy that turned up to the spot where there were 5,000 men, they're all hungry. He had a few loaves and a few fishes. And they said, well, what is this amongst so many? Would to God that we, the people of God, would recognize that we are engaged in bringing Jehovah Jehovah the Almighty God to this world. So when we look at what we bring, stop looking at what you were. Start looking at who you are and understand there is power and presence of Jesus 
on your life to bring answers in Jesus' name. And if you're going through all sorts of stuff at the moment, get some people around you to pray with you. Don't do it alone. If you are going through incredible, great times at the moment, that's your cue to reach out to everybody else around you. If we are, imagine what would happen if we, the church, actually started being the church. Imagine what would happen to this community, to this city, to this world. They wouldn't understand it. They would look at you like you got four heads, but God is working through you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thanks, Pastor. Man, come on, let's give a big God bless you to Pastor Mark. That was just... But look at someone. Let's stand to our feet. Look at someone and say, bring on the party. Come on, look at at least another nine people say, bring it on. Bring on the party. Oh, there's so much in that today. You're not bath water anymore. Amen. Look at someone say, you look like, go on, tell them, you look like the best wine. (laughs) Man, I had a glass of wine last night. We had a glass of wine together. We had a glass of Malbec over a lovely dinner. And we looked at each other and we said, that's a nice glass of wine. It's probably the first glass of wine I'd had since before Christmas. And uh, I don't drink wine a lot. When I have a nice meal, I have a nice glass of wine. You know what? We're the best wine that the world needs to taste. Amen? We're the best wine that the world needs to taste. Why? Because God's turning us from bath water into the best wine. It's the time in the service now when people come to Christ. Just say it as it is. It's when people come to Christ. And I don't mean to offend, but we've heard a great message today. Perhaps you came through those doors today as bathwater. Your life's falling apart. You're not the wine. God's not been doing that transformation work in your life. Why? Because quite simply, you haven't come to Christ. You haven't given your life to Christ. And every week in this place, people give their lives to Jesus Christ. Online, if you're with us online today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, now's the time. You're not online by accident. You're not here in this room by accident. Will you let God do a work in your life? You can live trying to clean yourself up. You can live trying to impress God, trying to be religious, trying to be holy, trying to be a good person. Talking to somebody this week, oh, but I'm a good person. Of course, good people go to heaven. No, that's the point of the gospel. Good people do not go to heaven. It's not about being good or bad. It's about letting God turn your life from one thing into another. Being born again. Saying, Jesus, will you be my Lord and my Saviour? Come and do that transformation work inside of me. Perhaps you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Perhaps you're a young person here today and you've been dragged to church all of your life. Well done, parents. Come on, well done, parents. 
every Friday night. We have an incredible youth work here on a Friday and pretty much every week, young people are giving their lives to Jesus. In the baptism service next week, we got young people giving their lives to Christ. Teenagers, young people, but it doesn't matter what age you are. Today's the day to give your life to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, be my Lord and Saviour. Perhaps you know Jesus it really is your Saviour, but it's time for Him to really be your Lord. And say, yeah, Master, Almighty God, I know you died for me and thank you for doing that and you paid the price, but really I need to submit my life to you. Right now with every eye closed, please, and every head bowed in this room and online, will you join with us today? And I want to make this really clear. You need to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Do not leave this place without knowing that Jesus is your Lord. Your eternity is ahead of you and it's settled by a decision and a resulting lifestyle in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus becomes your Lord, your Saviour, brings that transformation into your life. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you've never come to the place where you said, Jesus, I receive you today into my life. If you've never done that, or perhaps you're here today and you know that you're not living on fire for God. What do we mean by that? Excited about your salvation. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're not really, you know, you're, you come to church, but it's not, it's not that life, that party that we've heard about today. And you need to give your life back to God. So if you're here today with every eye closed and every head bowed as the church celebrates today, come on. If you're here today and for the very first time or you know you need to come back to God significantly today, I'm going to ask you to do something confident and bold. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in this auditorium or online right now, please. And say, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Can I see hands in this room? I'm looking around. Come on. You know you need to respond to Jesus Christ. Are you here today? Come on, this is your time to give your life to Christ. Last time as I look across this auditorium and online, I know there's people online receiving Jesus. Father, we thank You today, Lord, for every heart, every life. And Father, we thank You that You are the God who transforms lives into the best wine. Let's all pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank You that You love me, that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to give me life. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord, my Saviour and my friend. I turn away from the way I've lived apart from you. And by the help of your grace and your power, I'll never be the same again. I receive eternal life in Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate today, shall we?